0: The streets are filled with all kinds of pain and anguish and hatred and injustice and confusion. So much lostness. Oh, the lostness. Declarations being made that make no sense. Pain and hatred and anger. And no questions answered. Or so it seems. It certainly seems that way. But things are not as they seem. The city, the city that we're made for, the city that we are promised, that city when Jesus makes all things new, it is the hope for my journey. Even in the midst of things that we don't know, And the things that break break our hearts and cause us to think in so many ways. It seems like evil is winning. uh, The last few weeks, it's kind of like every time I I check the news, I'm just like, what else is going to happen? But things are not as they seem. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 20. One time, Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. And that's a theme throughout all of the gospel. Jesus was always attracting a crowd. Soon, he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. That's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let me illustrate this further. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who can tie him up and then plunder his house. Jesus was having a bad day. Wouldn't you call that a bad day? When your family calls you crazy? I mean, the people that you love the most, the people that you spent the most time with, the people that know you better than anybody, they say that you're out of your mind, you're crazy. That's their, that's their explanation to what he's saying. That's their explanation to what he's doing. So he's crazy. And then, and then the leaders of the church show up and say he's demon-possessed. He's filled with Satan himself. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a bad day. That's a bad day when your family calls you crazy and the church says you're filled with Satan. And this is the day that Jesus is having. He 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 responds and talks about three things. The first one is this. You cannot fight evil with evil. You cannot fight evil with evil. Two wrongs do not make a right. All of our grandpas taught us that. Or at least they should have. Two wrongs don't make a right. The other thing that he says is this. He says that a kingdom, a house, a family, a church, a business, a neighborhood, it doesn't matter. Fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill in the blank with. If it's divided... It will collapse. It will fall. And then the third thing he says, as I, the I am, I am stronger than anything, than any problem, than any situation, than any robber, and anything that you're going to face, I am The answer. Two wrongs don't make a right. You can't fight evil with evil. If we're divided, we will fall. And Jesus is the answer. Now that can apply to anything because it applies to everything. We're going to have a bit of a conversation this morning. I invited some, some guys to come up and I in no way am, a, am going to attempt to answer all the questions their intention is not to answer all the questions our intention is to begin a conversation uh, particularly when it comes to race I don't know if you've noticed but we all look a little different Mordecai's way taller than I am Cornell can beat all four of us up at the same time <laughs> Aiden is a true minority he has hair <laughs> so we're going to we're going to have a conversation it's going to be a serious conversation and and I hope you'll have it with us as we discuss some things. I want to start off uh. Uh, we'll just get them used to talking to a microphone, so if you'll introduce yourself. And could you just say what you do?
1: Okay. My name is Cornel Singleton, and I'm regional vice president of America.
2: Aidan Ocampo-Gomez, and I'm public information officer for Las Vegas Metro.
3: Keith Nelson, I'm a musician and secretary treasurer of the Musicians' Union. Hi, I'm uh, Mordecai
4: Jasper, I'm an electrical engineer, I'm a senior technical staff member at JT4.
0: I didn't ask this the first hour, so uh, this is not a curveball at all. Though, um, when you saw the George Floyd video, what was your reaction?
4: Uh, initially, anger, and then after I calmed down, then there was pity, and then there came forgiveness.
3: Not again.
1: I just felt like again, also.
2: Uh, for, for us watching out of the police department, one of the things that we noticed is that guy needs to be arrested. Uh, this shouldn't have happened. Uh, and that is something that we all felt as a police department. And we understood that there, sh- there should be an outcry from the community. And we knew that there was going to be protests and stuff going on. And that was to be expected. After watching that video, none of us within our police department had any reason to justify at any point what, that, what was going on within that. So that was our feeling towards it.
0: And we all know what has happened since, and we know uh, even the things, uh, another event in Atlanta in the last couple of days, and we see the protest, and we see uh, the anger, um, and we know that t- two evils, you know, don't come together to solve anything. But I think we got to be careful to stop and ask why the anger, uh, why the hurt. Why the pain? Uh, and not lose sight of that. As we're, we're going to discuss a little bit about racism, uh, these guys are going to tell you some stories, some experiences, and then we're going to uh, talk a little bit. We're not going to solve racism this morning. We're not going to keep people um, from being racist. Uh, we're not going to... Be able to reform police departments across the country. Uh, but we can have a conversation. We can begin to ask what is our role? What, what, what part do we need to play in this? So the next question I'd like to ask um, is, is how do you guys define racism?
4: Uh, for me, um, it's when someone um, establishes expectations for me and I don't get a vote.
3: Similar. I'd say that um, if you have a predetermined opinion about someone that you have just by sight, um, I'd call that racist.
0: How about you, Cornell?
1: Um, mine's pretty much the same, you know, if I see you and how I expect you to be versus
2: how people of my color would be.
0: Okay. <clears throat> I want you to tell your, I like, I like Aiden's story.
2: Uh, so one of the things that we constantly hear is, you know, I don't see color. I don't see color when it comes to your skin. I don't see that. The reality is that's a lie. We need to see it. You know, I'm Mexican. If you look at my skin, you you know that I'm, I'm some kind of Hispanic descent. And there's a culture that comes behind it. And you should be able to look at each other and try to look at that culture and look at that person as an individual and try to learn about their culture. If we're different skin, that means we have different things to be proud of, and it's not looking at just the simple "Hey, your your skin color, and this is how you should be." I feel racism is when you look at me and you look and say that I'm brown, and you see me walking around somewhere, and you automatically think I'm the gardener. That's racism, you know. So look at, take a look at that of the way that you're looking at people and issuing statements about who they are based on their skin color. That's racism.
0: The next question is, I want these guys to um, share. And by the way, I know some of you know all four. Some of you only know one. Um, I'm incredibly thankful for these four men and for what they're willing to do today. I'm also incredibly thankful that these four men are a part of our church and that we didn't ha- I didn't have to call somebody in another church to see if somebody could come in and be on a panel. Um, this is, we're a family here and, and this is what we're talking about and, and we need to talk about it. So I want you guys, the, the, the next question is to share a story uh, of, of racism, uh, that you have experienced. Uh, and I, I think this is important. Uh, it's clearly, I'm a white guy. I'm a white guy from Mississippi. And I don't know if you've ever, if you know, but racism in Mississippi kind of go together. I kind of got a few stories uh, out there in, in the history of, of all of that. And I've grown up in that. I, I know what that's like. My best friend, uh, my freshman year in high school, was um, a black, uh, um, I don't I guess a black boy at that time. We weren't, we weren't men. We were in the ninth grade. We weren't, he was from Chicago. And um, I remember those times and what it was like to ride on the bus with him and sit with him in Mississippi in the late 70s. And um, But I'm white. You know, I've never been treated differently because of the color of my skin. Uh, but these guys have, and I'd like for you to hear some of their stories.
2: So for me, my first uh, time I experienced racism, it was in Mississippi.
0: Imagine that. Uh.
2: So at that point, uh, I, just to give you a little background, I, I was born in Mexico, grew up in California, so never truly experienced it. It wasn't until I joined the military and I got stationed in Mississippi. Uh, me and a friend of mine who was white, we went to a mall, and I sat down in one of the benches in the mall, and a security guard came over, and he pretty much told me, hey, you need to leave. And for me, I was like, what, what am I doing wrong? And he's like, you just need to go. And so that continued back and forth. My friend came out of the store, and he pretty much saw the security guard and say, hey, is there a problem? And I'm like, I don't know. This guy keeps telling me to leave, and he's not telling me why. Security guard looks at him and says, oh, he's with you? He's like, yeah, we're stationed here. And he goes like, okay, you know, carry on. And then he just walked away. So my friend had to exp- uh, explain to me what I had just experienced, it because growing up in California, I, I didn't see that.
4: Uh, Let's see for me. I was five years old and I didn't really know that it was a racial experience when I was five years old My dad died and uh, I supposedly not knowing this I found out later that um, I was 23 years old. I was visiting with my brother before I moved to Las Vegas He was in um, at Norton Air Force Base in California, and he has a zipper in his chest Because he had triple bypass surgery. So I looked at my brother and said that really scares me because uh, dad died from a heart attack And he goes no he didn't I go. Yes, he did And he went, no, he didn't. I'm thinking, then why did you tell me that? I mean, you've told me that all my life. He goes, well, didn't someone tell you the truth? And I go, what's the truth? He said, "Um, dad had a ruptured uh, appendix. And when they took him to the hospital, the hospital in my, close to my hometown, did not accept black patients. And in the drive to the next hospital, he died. So I found that out when I was 23. And fortunately, at 23, God bless me. My faith was strong. So it bothered me, but it didn't change me. But it just, it disappointed me
3: quite a bit. My first experience with racism, I was four years old. And um, my brother and I, my family moved to Boulder, Colorado. And we went to the kindergarten uh, or the school, the elementary school. We were playing in the sandbox with some other friends, two two white friends. And... um, We were just playing in the sandbox. And then these uh, five older boys roll up on their bikes and they jump into the sandbox and just start calling my brother and I this N-word that we never heard before and started pounding on us. Um, And, uh, you know, we were really confused. My brother and I, when we got home, we asked our parents, what is that? Why are they calling us that? And uh, they had to explain
1: it. But that was my first experience. My first experience was uh, kind of similar to Keep's, you know. I was born and raised here in Las Vegas, Nevada. But my parents are from Mississippi and Louisiana. So I um, hadn't really experienced it till the third grade. And my first experience was, um, I was called the N-word by another one of the kids in the classroom.
0: What about, I mean, those are oh, young men uh, <coughs> What, what about something as an adult? Uh, can you share a story of being treated in a prejudiced way as an adult?
1: I would say maybe as an adult, you know. Um, I'll, I've been pulled over a few times and asked, you know, how come, why, what are you doing in this uh, neighborhood? And another thing that uh, kind of stood out, it doesn't really happen as much anymore, but I've lived in Anthem since 2004. But when... I used to get out of the car at certain stores, the doors are locked, you know.
0: Like, so you get out of the car and you hear doors, doors locking lock. around you. Yeah, I'm just right. like,
1: not getting in your car, not going to take your stuff. You right. You, know, I'm going to store.
0: you could if you wanted to. <laughs> and the you can have my stuff if you, it. if you want You can have it. it. <laughs> um, pulled over in what neighborhood?
1: In the neighborhood I live in, you know, you get pulled over and ask. Okay, what hold,
0: hold on. I'm going to ask it again. I want you to answer it slow. Okay. What neighborhood were you pulled over in?
1: In my neighborhood.
0: Okay. I think that has to sit with us.
3: Keith? Yeah, I'll... I'll, I'll tell you two really quickly. But uh, one, I'll bridge off of what Cornel just said. I was, um, when we were at Pinecrest, the church was at Pinecrest, I was going up there on a Saturday to help out, and it was blocked. The 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 normal way I go, which is up that, through Inspirata, it was blocked for some marathon. And um, so uh, I had to park, and I saw a police officer. Uh, and so uh, that had this one area blocked off, so I parked my car, and... Wow. I put everything away, and I said, am going to walk up here and ask him, how do I get over there? Because I don't know. And um, as I'm walking up to him, he starts unbuckling his gun. And this is a big dude. I mean, he didn't need a gun to take care of me. <laughs> and, um, he was about, like, 6'4", and he was, you know, but I pretended like I didn't see it. And I proceeded to walk up to him and ask him directions, and he didn't really know he wasn't from there. And and there was another one, though, that recent, as a wedding minister, um, I've done thousands of weddings, and uh, uh, this one particular one, you know, you go in, you speak to the bride, you give them their instructions. And um, I go back to my office after that. Well, the coordinators come around to me and they tell me, they say, um, Keith, I can't believe this girl. Um, if you don't want to do the, this wedding, uh, you don't have to. I said, what do you mean? What's going on? I said, well, she, she doesn't want a black minister. And um, I said, if you don't want to do it, we're just going to tell her to get out of here. We hate that kind of stuff. And I said, are you kidding? We're absolutely going to do this wedding. She can't get away from me. And so, so I, I had a blast. And, um, and at the very end, you know, when you tell them congratulations and everything, you put your hand out and shake your hands, and she had to shake my hand. So, it was great. So. But there's another one. There's another one. There, there's, those, these happen often, actually, still. Um, I can also walk into the room, and it'd be black people, and they'll go, oh, I'm so glad you're black. So do you mind if I share no, something?
2: No, no, of course. So there's, there's something else that I didn't think about last service, but it has less to do with the colors of my skin but the uniform that I wear. Um, this actually happened at one of the churches that we used to attend prior. Uh, I had been going there for about a year. Most of the time I tell people I'm military because there are people that don't like my profession. Uh, and so I didn't expect that to happen within the church, uh, but my wife mentioned to some people... That I was a police officer here in Las Vegas. And they actually started treating us differently within the church because of my profession. They started treating my family different. And so obviously we left that church uh, because this is supposed to be a safe place for us. And, you know, just it became based on the uniform that I was wearing that they're judging me. But they were fine with me with the military uniform. But as soon as I told them I was law enforcement, that changed.
0: Yeah. So prejudice comes in all kinds of forms and all kinds of ways. And that's the thing that we've got to be paying attention to in our own hearts uh, from that standpoint. And that, that would lead to, the, to this next question would be, how, how should we or how do you think we should or how do you respond to racism? Uh, as a person of, of, of color or darker color, I'm a person of color my face is red um how should we respond to that how how do you respond to that
4: well uh from my perspective um and this has been a question that's been asked a lot this past week with um co-workers pastor fellow pastors and the question was how should the church respond to what's going on and my my response to them was you be the church What's happening outside has no bearing on my faith and me and my relationship with God. And it didn't change God's expectations for me as a Christian. So it's the answer for me, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm better than anybody else. I'm just saying I read the Bible and it says that I'm identified in Christ and I'm safe. So if I continue to treat people as a Christian, I don't care what happens outside. I will, that's what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's what the church is supposed to do. And if we do that, then it'll take care of itself. Because the bottom line says, as far as the Bible is concerned, the more like Christ we become, they're supposed to hate us. And I'm good with that. I mean, I accept that. And I'm not saying that because I'm being proud. I'm just, that's what happens. And whether I'm black or white, I'm getting more grief for being a Christian than I am for being
0: a black man most of the time. How, how, how should we respond as a church to George Floyd, racism, prejudice, what you've experienced, and I'll, I'll also throw in there um, for those of us that are white, um, what would you what would you expect or want our response to be uh, in this current tension? Well,
3: I I'm certain that we don't have the ability as believers to return ignorance uh, racism for the racism that's received Um, so as a church we would respond by the way our Lord Jesus would respond Um, and it's what love would require us to do and and there's just no way of defeating racism without not returning it. And so that's, that's an internal question for everybody. Um, but I know what I do, and I just don't return it. I look for any other reason, first and foremost, for whatever that action is. If somebody's jealous, maybe that's it. <clears throat> Or um, it it has to be overly blatant for me, for me to say okay this this is a racist individual. Um, but I believe the church needs to look at that. Um, <clears throat> if you formulated opinion by looking at a group of people where they are and on television, whatever, dressed a little different. Um, and that's your general opinion. Well, that's unfortunate because now the arrow points to you. Um, and you're returning something. I would say, as well, though, you know, uh, with the microphone, I don't hear necessarily, I haven't heard it yet, in the black precincts, them asking the question, what can I do? I, don't, I haven't heard that. And um, because As a black community, I see racism being returned for the racism. And guess what? We're perpetuating the junk. As Christians, we have no excuse. So if there's people of color, black people, whatever, and they call themselves Christians, uh, then here's an uppity statement. I don't think so.
1: And I think, you know, um, things like what you're doing right now, starting off with a discussion, but I think uh, racism, I don't think any of us were born racist, you know. So I think it starts off in the family, and then it's kind of just expected and accepted, you know. So I think um, it has to start off with a um, conversation, and then it has to start with leadership, you know. And... Just the social media world, I think, is just so screwed up and crazy. But it just puts it out there, and everybody has their opinion. And you know, I think you get attacked no matter which side you're on. And even if you don't say anything, now you get attacked. So,
0: and isn't that true? Yeah, it's it's kind of like if I say something, it's there's an attack. If I don't say something, there's an attack. There's a you got to be outraged about uh, this, or you got to be outraged about that. Um, you've got to make a stance for this, not make a stance for that. Uh, yeah, that is starting with the leadership, understanding what Scripture tells us, what our response to be is, is who we are in Christ. Uh, it has to start with that. I mean, it has to start in the mirror. I mean, that's the first place it has to start. Everybody has to go home and look in the mirror and say, and ask themselves this question, am I a racist? Do um, I, <laughs> right? Right.
1: And I always go back to what you you taught us. You know, with uh, we like to rate our sins, you know. <laughs> and I always think about that, you know. Yeah,
0: that's right. Going to rate our sins. And I, I have a friend who I was watching it yesterday. Um, uh, and to, her and her friend were doing a thing in Mississippi, and she said she was introduced to a to a black uh, the Bible study group at a college where she was working, and and the 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 leader of that college group uh, introduced her. As uh, this is, her name is Linda this is Linda and she's not as racist as most and that's how that's how he introduced her and she said I was offended until I realized he was, making, he was complimenting me and that the room received it as a compliment um, so I think we all have to look in the mirror and, and what do we see and and whether that is skin color, what kind of uniform we're wearing or not wearing, uh, what a theological belief is, where we go to church, where we went to school, or if we didn't go to school, there's there's all kinds of things that are there, but it has to start with us, and it has to start with uh, with leadership and. You know, I, I I'm I'm listening to as many things as I can and, and, and watching and I'm I'm I'm, tr- you know, uh, I'm not getting my information from Facebook. Neither should you. <laughs> Don't get your information from Facebook. Check. Fact check. Fact check yourself, <laughs> and what it is that you're believing. And so I'm, I'm I'm i I am trying to do that and, and, and get information from credible sources. And and when this happened in Minnesota, I sit down with Keith and I say, Hey Keith, we sat right here and we had a conversation <coughs> about okay, well I don't I don't know what to do. I mean I'm 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 hurt by this, I'm outraged by this. I, I as a white guy am going, how can this happen again? And and A and I are gonna have a little conversation in a minute from the police standpoint I said the same thing when I watched the video from Atlanta. How, how does this happen again? How do you shoot somebody in the back when he's running away from you because he was just asleep in a parking lot? I don't understand this. How in this, in this moment, in this time, how can you do that? Now, I've never been a policeman. And I just didn't spend five minutes wrestling with the guy on the ground. So, And I don't know what happened three days before that. And I don't know what happened to it. So, so for me to immediately rush to it, I have to, we all have to pull back and say, okay, what is going on here? Where is the truth? How do, how do I do that? And one of the things that I have heard over the last couple of weeks is just that in the black community, 75% of black homes do not have a man represented in the home. 75% do not have a father. So as you ask, and if you're asking, what can I do? We have an organization that we have been supporting for years called Club Christ. And they go into black communities with the hope of the gospel. Teaching them how to read. Helping children who do not have help at home, the average reading level in prison is third grade. The average prisoner is third grade reading level. And the reason that is, is because you can learn to read to a third grade level on your own. But after that, you need help. And if you've ever parented a child in the fourth grade or the fifth grade or the sixth grade, you know they need help. And so we ask for volunteers, and we might get one. I had lunch with Evan, who who is the the point person for, for Club Christ last week. And he said the biggest problem we'll have this summer is we will not have volunteers. It's easy to point your finger, and it's easy to get mad at the church or the pastor for not doing whatever, 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 whatever. But you got to look in the mirror and ask the question, what have I done? What am I doing? Last week we showed a video of the food that we collected for Casa de Luz. And we showed it. And everybody smiled. Yay. And I did, because that's what I'm supposed to do. But... Do you want to know? I'll just be a little transparent with you. You know what I was? Embarrassed. You know I was embarrassed? Because our church, in Anthem, with full pantries. Cornel, your pantry full? Pretty full, isn't it? Mordecai? Yeah. Keith? Yeah. Hey? Yeah. Mon? Yeah. And we patted ourselves on the back because we took two carloads down. We should have taken trucks down. It starts in the mirror, and this mindset of somebody else is going to do it—that's somebody else's job. That's for—that's the stuff that's got an end. So one of the things, or I, I will let you guys, what is something, that's an example to go into a place that is, uh, has uh, black community, Hispanic community, other cultures that are having a hard time, and that is a way that we can make a difference. Is, is there anything that you could say to us to say, hey, maybe try this? Sure. Um,
4: that Bible, I'll just keep referring to that little book we have. Um, one of the things that we, I think, as a church, and I'm talking about church, the church in general worldwide, I think we're comfortable. And we're very comfortable with people that are just like us. That's just the way we are. You, you hang out with a certain type of people. You're you are fun around a certain type of people. But even in the Bible, Peter was comfortable being a Jew. And that wasn't acceptable to God. So we all know what happened in the book of Acts. Peter has a vision, and God lowers down the, the, the sheet with all this food on it. He says, Peter, eat. And Peter said no. And God loaded it again. He said, Peter, eat. And Peter said, no, it's unclean. I won't eat it. He ordered it a third time. Peter said, no. And God said, Peter, there's nothing I make that's unclean. Eat. And from that point, we you know, Peter went downstairs, and he had three men waiting for him who came from a guy named Cornelius. And it was the first time he ever stepped foot in a non-Jewish person's house. Now, if you want to change the world in which we live, we can't change racism. But within the church, if we abide by what the Scripture says, it says don't invite someone to dinner who can repay you. That means you should be hanging out with people and getting to know people who are not like you. I mean that's what we're supposed to be doing and I'm not saying this because I'm better than you or anything but I'm just telling you if you want to change people try living in a home where someone invites you to spend 3 months without telling you that their father was a racist and have that be you be the only white person in that county for those 3 months. It was quite an adventure. But that white man who was a racist then became my father figure three months later. So you can change slowly, but you got to get outside your comfort zone. Meet some people that are different than you and spend some time with them. That's what the church is supposed to do.
0: That's good. That's good. So we're going to have to do this quick again, but this is really important. Uh, Mr. Aiden is Metro Policeman. So here's here's my question. This is Marty's question. I'm just going to let you all listen in, all right? So, Aiden, I support policemen. I respect policemen. I've never had a speeding ticket because I don't speed. I have been pulled over for not wearing my seatbelt. Don't tell me what to do. Um, And I did get a ticket once in Laguna Beach because I was in a turn lane where I wasn't supposed to be in. But those two times I was pulled over, the only thing I said to the policeman was, yes, sir. <laughs> over and over and over and over. So I respect policemen. I want to support policemen. I want to respect law enforcement. Defund the police, the dumbest thing I've I can't. I got to stop saying it's the dumbest thing I ever heard because I'm going to hear something this afternoon that's going to be dumber. Uh, but it's one of the dumbest things yeah. I've ever heard. So I completely support that. However, eight minutes and 46 seconds with a knee on the back of a man's neck, that's, that's infuriating. Shooting a man in the back who's running away. He didn't didn't rape anybody. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't arm robbery. He was. He was drunk and asleep in a parking lot. That makes me angry. So, how do I put those two things together?
2: And that's a very difficult question. You know, honestly, when it came to us, even as a police department watching that video, it was hard, it was difficult. There is nobody that should say what he did was okay. And if you do, let's have a conversation after this. Uh, Because it's something that should enrage the community. Um, We were expecting protests. That is something that as a police department, we saw and you are like, yes, the whole community, the whole country should be, you know, talking about this situation. Uh, The only thing that we did not expect was the riots and the violence that came with it. Um, But one of the things, I cannot talk about all the departments and all their policies, I can only talk about mine. Um, One of the things that we have been doing for the past decade has been uh, part of the reform that people are talking about, the reform that people are considering and want to do now Those things are actually part of our policy, and they've been part of our policy for many years. The duty to intervene, those three officers that you saw standing there doing nothing, in our policy, they would have gotten in trouble right there and then. That is something that we've been practicing for years. It's something that it's already ingrained within our culture, and it's part of the changing of the culture. It's part of the getting to know your police department. So one of the best ways to kind of support your police department is getting to understand our use of force policy, getting to understand how you can voice your opinion when it comes to making changes within the police department. The ACLU is actually one of the advisors to the sheriff. How many of you knew that? You know, there's a multicultural council of different races, different religions, different faiths that kind of meet up with the sheriff and talk about some of these situations that are going nationwide to provide him input on how we need to change and what we need to do to address the different changes. So that way, our department doesn't end up like that. We want to make sure that there's changes that are occurring within our community, but you guys have an opinion? because we see things a little bit different. Even when our officer-involved shootings occurred, we have somebody that reviews those within our department, but there's also a citizen review board. Do you guys know that? There's a citizen review board where you guys, as citizens, volunteer to understand and know our policies, and then you guys get to see it, and you guys get to put our input into it and say, what do you think about what the officer's actions were? Is there anything that you would like change? And there has been policy changes based on the opinion of the individuals, of citizens within our community that make a difference. So when you're looking at some of the things that that need to be reformed, do some departments probably need it? Yes, I'm sure they do. Uh, But also get to understand what your department here locally is doing to kind of help you. And if you want changes, volunteer. You know, like Marty was saying, you want to make a difference, you want to make a change, you need to volunteer in order for your voice to be heard. We can all go online and just post our opinion, but are we actually making the change that our community needs? And that's what we need to kind of look into, and that's what's going to stop some of these situations. Because as a police officer, I don't see a person based on their skin color. I see somebody who just committed a crime, you know, and some officers... From what I'm looking at when it comes to this, they need a lot more training or they need to change their standards or change their policies, but that's going to be up to their departments. Our department continues to make that difference, to make those changes, so we avoid incidents like this.
0: That makes me proud of the Metro Department, to to know that we're doing that and making those kinds of changes and have that stance on it. Uh, I say this all the time, be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you ask for. He just gave a lot. He just gave a lot. For, and that's just a little bit, right? Because uh, we're all watching the clock. Um, he just gave a lot for us to be able to do. Uh, now, that's not as fun as complaining. I get it. That's not as fun as stating your opinion and then going on with your life and doing nothing about it. It's not nearly as fun to actually make some changes and actually go in and try to get something changed. Uh, But lots there. Aiden will be hanging around afterwards. Um, If you've you've got some questions, actually all of these guys will be um, for that. We wanted to begin a conversation and hope that you will continue to have a conversation. The city, the city that is heaven, is the hope for my journey. It is the answer to all of my questions. It's up to us to believe that. Now in Mark chapter 3, and it kind of, it's kind of fun to see because it's just the way God works. We're studying the book of Mark. It's what we're going through. Today we get to the part in the story of Jesus where he says a house divided cannot fall. I mean, will fall. It's the Abraham Lincoln quoted that very verse during the Civil War. And if you think things are bad right now, you might want to read a little history. I stopped reading in verse 27. But if you keep reading... Jesus continues and he says, This there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. But there is one sin that has eternal consequences, and that is rejecting Jesus, rejecting the Holy Spirit. That cannot be forgiven. The racism in our hearts, the prejudice in our hearts, the apathy in our hearts, the comfortableness in our hearts, the fear in our hearts can all be forgiven. But the one that can't is rejecting Jesus. Do we have problems? Yes. Is there a single problem that Jesus is not the answer to? No. And that's what we have to stand on. And that's what we have to continue to walk in. As we continue to be the people and the person that God's called and created us to be. We're all created in whose image? His. So I dare any of us to think differently because someone is darker or lighter, taller or shorter, thinner or wider. We need to love each other. But it's going to have to start in the mirror. Let's pray. Father, your truth And we give it to you. In your name we pray. Amen.